0: Hello and in today's episode we're going to be looking at the primary source questions in A-level history. We're going to be looking at what we mean by value. We will look at how to structure your answers. We'll look at the characteristics of higher level answers and how you go from one level to the next. The question that we're gonna be looking at today is with reference to the source and your understanding of the historical context, assess the value of the source to historians studying the impact of post-war tensions. Now you'll be able to find the source that I'm referring to today in the show notes. Now, what do we mean by value? Before we tackle the value of the sources in section A of the exam paper, We really need to think about what we might mean by value in the first place. So you might want to think to yourself, does the source tell you anything about attitudes, beliefs, motivations or popularity of something? Does the source reveal anything about the causes or the consequences or the impact of something? Does the source provide any accurate evidence? If so, it might make it more valuable. Does the source try to achieve something? If it does, that could reveal something. That could be valuable to us. Does the source say anything about society at large? If it does, that could be quite valuable for us to understand the situation on the ground. Is the source surprising or revealing or not intended for public consumption? If it wasn't intended for public consumption, that could be quite valuable. There could be some real genuine insight there without any attempt to try and mask the reality of the situation. And lastly, does the source tell you anything about the success or failure of something? Could help us better understand, be valuable for that reason, but better understand why a policy failed or a policy succeeded. So what are we talking about with the structure then? Well, we wanna go straight in. We don't need an introduction. For this sort of question. There's nothing to introduce. We want to go straight on in and we want to look at the provenance first. So we're going to need to assess the value and limitations of the provenance of each source in relation to the question set. So remember the question this time is we're thinking that we're a historian studying the impact of post-war tensions. That's the question set and that's what we're trying to establish. Is this source valuable? So when we're looking at the provenance, we want to think about the author, the date, the type of source, its purpose, the intended audience. Some of those will be appropriate, some of those less so, but it's all using our, our contextual own knowledge and trying to establish, is this source valuable to better understand or answer the question set? Now, with some questions, it will be appropriate to assess the emphasis and the tone of the source. So, this is where we're thinking about okay, what language was used? And does that add or detract from the value of the source, again, in relation to the question set? So, the question again this time is a historian studying the impact of post-war tensions. Is this valuable to understand the impact, or does it actually detract from that? So that would be paragraph one. Paragraph two, we we'd need to actually have an assessment of the content. So this could be an argument. It could be a view expressed in each source. And you need to think, okay, does this add or detract from the value of that source in relation to the question set? Now, once we've looked at the provenance and we've looked at the content, we need to make an overall judgment. But we'll talk about that more in a moment. So how do we get into the higher levels? Well, there's going to need to be a real clear focus on value. So my advice would be to use that word, use the word value. It should be the most commonly used word in your answer. But remember, it's value in relation to the set issue in the question. So value is going to be a a word that we use a lot, but in this case, a phrase a historian studying the impact of post-war tensions that's going to be a phrase used a lot as well you're going to need a short summative conclusion for each source so once you've looked at one source a short conclusion that reinforces your judgment about value you might remember in our previous podcast we looked at how to structure conclusions so you might want to follow the mnemonic jar. J is where you have a really clear judgment. This source is very valuable, somewhat valuable, partially valuable, greatly valuable, highly valuable. Any of that sort of language is a really clear judgment to the reader. A is where you give the alternative. Okay, if you think that the source is overall highly valuable, what still detracts from its value? And then R is return. Despite that alternative, despite those things that detract from its value, why do you think it's highly valuable? Now, the other characteristics of a high-level answer is it's gonna be evidence. You're gonna need to have evidence drawn from your own knowledge, and this should be used to support your evaluation. It's not just in isolation. You're not just chucking information and things that you know to the question and hope it sticks. You're using that information to support your judgment. The last characteristic of a a higher level answer is the provenance and the content should be balanced, should be balanced. So at some point, you'll need to look at what makes the source valuable, what adds to its value, but also you're gonna need to look at what detracts from its value as well. But it's still gonna need to be a really clear judgment there. There's balance, but there's a really clear judgment as well. Now, before we take a little look at the source, let's just remind ourselves about how we go from one level to the next. Now, lower level answers, so level one and level two, will usually paraphrase the source. They'll rewrite the source in their own words. Or they might use the question as an opportunity to recount lots of information. It's not really linked to the source, it's not really linked to the question. Now to get above level one and level two, you're going to need to look at all three sources we're just going to look at one source today but when you have all three sources you need to look at all three of them to get into level three and above now where we start to see that you have started to offer an evaluation of the source linked to value you're going to move beyond level three so you've looked at all three sources you've looked at all three in a balanced way and you've evaluated them. This source is highly valuable. The second source is only partially valuable. So you're making a judgment about each source one by one, always linked to value. Now at the highest level, level 4 and level 5, much will depend on the quality of the evaluation. So what do we mean by that? Well how well has the answer been addressed? How well have you linked what you've talked about to, in this case, a historian studying the impact of post-war tensions? We want a balanced response, you've looked at what makes it valuable, what limits its value, and you're also going to need to talk about the content and the provenance of all three sources as well. Welcome back. So before the break, we were looking at the structure, characteristics of high level answers and what we mean by value. We're now gonna talk about the source that can be found in the show notes. So remember this question is with reference to the source and your understanding of the historical context, assess the value of the source to a historian studying the impact of post-war tensions. So we really need to think that we are a historian and we've sat down, we've got this source and we need to decide whether it's valuable to us or not. Imagine you're writing a book or a journal article or an essay or a blog about the impact of post-war tensions. You've got this source, is it valuable to you? Is it helpful? Do you want to use it? And what could be the reasons for and against using it as part of your writing? So let's start with the provenance remember all sources in the exam will have a line or two of provenance information it's usually in bold now make sure that you spend time studying this as well as the source itself as that is vital in assessing the value of any source let's begin by looking at the type of source well this is an official joint statement issued by the three leaders at Yalta It's known as a declaration on Poland and so is valuable for showing the reality on the ground as seen by the big three. So notice how I'm using the word valuable there. However, official statements like these would likely have gone through many revisions and redrafts to ensure that the audience is reassured that the conference was a success. So this might limit its value because it's been revised, because it's been redrafted. It might not be as passionate. It might not be as revealing of what the actual impact of the post-war tensions really were. Now also, as it is an official uh, statement, the value of the source perhaps is increased. As it is clear that this is a topic of an importance and the big three want to convey their message, about the future of Poland, so we want to understand the impact of post-war tensions. Here we have an official statement from the Big Three, they are conveying their message about the future of Poland, which is a cause of these post-war tensions after all. Let's now look at the date. Now the date is significant, it's drawn up at the Yalta Conference on the 11th of February 1945 significant as the second world war is still ongoing by this stage it was clear that germany was going to lose the war the source is therefore valuable for showing how the grand alliance wanted to establish a provisional government in poland there was more than one government acting as a government in exile during the war with different ideologies and supporters So what we can see there again I'm using that word value but I'm starting to use my knowledge of the Yalta conference and what was going on in the background to explain why the day is either valuable or not. Let's look at the author now. This is an official statement delivered by the big three so this could make it valuable to show the opinion of the leaders of Britain the USA and the Soviet Union on the progress made at the Yalta conference. So we want to think about, okay, post-war tensions, the impact of post-war tensions. Who better than to hear from the big three, the leaders of the USA, the USSR and Britain. They are deciding the future and what's going to come after the Second World War after all. Let's lastly took a little look at the intended audience and the purpose. The intended audience and the purpose are often linked together. Now the audience would be the policymakers, but in the case of the USA and Britain, it would likely also be other members of their government and maybe even the public themselves as well. Now, because it's targeted particularly in the USA and Britain, because it's targeted at their government, targeted at the general public, it could be of less value because it might overemphasise the progress and the agreement, the level of agreement at the Yalta Conference. It might give us as historians the view that actually post-war tensions weren't that important, weren't that significant. It might overemphasise the agreement and the progress that was made at the altar conference. Now, the purpose is to record the agreements made by the American, British and Soviet ministers at the altar conference. Now, using what we know about the altar conference, we might say, well, despite the harshness of arrangements, agreed on Poland's future, neither Roosevelt or Churchill were able to veto Stalin. We don't quite get this impression from this official statement. The feeling from this statement is that all of these three were level pegging and very much working together. But in reality, Poland's future, Roosevelt and Churchill couldn't really stop Stalin from doing what he wanted to do in Eastern Europe. The reason for this is that much of Eastern Europe had already fallen to Soviet forces, and Poland was now firmly in Stalin's grip and really in the Soviet sphere for some time to come. All that the British and Americans could do would be to bargain with Stalin and hope for some concessions, hope that some democratic values would be protected. Now this joint statement issued by the big three would become one of the key protocols of the Yalta agreement and to some extent reflect the reality on the ground so in that case it's valuable but of course because in reality there was a lot of disagreement and Stalin had a lot more leverage on Poland than Churchill and Stalin we're not really getting that impression from the source now before we go on to look at the content let's just talk about the tone and the emphasis The tone and the emphasis is not always important. It's not always helpful. It's not always relevant to each source. But in this case, I think it is. Now, the tone is optimistic. The source uses language like, quote, complete liberation, end quote, of Poland. And the need for, quote, free and unfettered elections, end quote. The language is designed to show that the Yalta conference was a success and is valuable for showing the hopefulness of the big three. And that maybe the impact of post-war tensions will be limited, that maybe they can continue to work together after the Second World War. Now, the emphasis of the source is on progress. And this might be due to its audience being policy makers, but Again, in the case of the USA and Britain, the audience would also be members of their government and the public. The big three will perhaps be conscious of that and want to emphasise the positives as these Western powers will be hoping to stop the future of Soviet expansion. They will want to give the impression that they can work with Stalin and the Soviet Union. And this could mean that the source is less valuable than studying the future of Poland and the impact of post-war tensions, as this official statement may not be as candid and as open as maybe if it was targeted to a different source. So now that we've looked at the provenance, after the break we're going to take a little look at the content of the source. Welcome back. So before the break, we were looking at the provenance of the source, looking at things like the author, the date, the tone, the emphasis. But now we're going to draw our attention to the content. Now, this source makes two main arguments. It has two main opinions in it. The first one is that a provisional government should be installed to stabilise a situation in Poland. The second is that free elections should be held to determine the future form of the government. Let's look at the first argument. So the source argues that there should be a provisional government and that it would be installed to stabilize the situation in Poland. Now we need to bring our own knowledge here to try and establish whether this is valuable to us or not. Now, we know that the Soviet Union wanted a pro-Soviet government in place in Poland as part of a buffer zone against Western and especially German expansion. The British wanted restoration of an independent Polish state since it was one of the main reasons why Britain intervened in the Second World War at all. Now, the USA wanted self-determination and a democratic state. Both the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill and the US President Roosevelt were faced with a challenging situation here. They couldn't really uh, avoid the Lublin government in its current form. They were on a base to press for a Polish provisional government to include representatives from the London based Polish government until free and fair elections could be held and a truly representative Polish government could be installed. So while the argument, while the, the content of the source suggests that a provisional government should be installed to stabilize the situation in Poland. That doesn't really give us the, the truth on the ground. Yes, there would be this this government representing uh, both sides, really. But what this source doesn't really tell us, and maybe this is what, is what limits the value, is that there are these still ongoing differing opinions. So the Soviet Union wanted the pro-Soviet government, the Lublin government, um, but Churchill saw them as Stalin's puppets, and the British and the and the Americans wanted the London-based Polish government to be in power in Poland. But it, 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 the reverse is also true. Stalin saw the the London-based Polish government as Churchill's puppets. So. That content there, while there's an element of truth which makes it valuable that they would have a provisional government until elections would take place, what it doesn't really get across to us is how there is real there was a real impact of this post-war tensions. This problem hadn't been solved, and both sides, the Soviets and the british and the and the Americans, had differing views about who should be in charge the second argument the second view in the source is that free elections should be held to determine the future form of the government now that that is valuable that was true there would need to be future elections and indeed there would be future elections and so maybe that suggests and tells us that well maybe the impact of the post-war tensions weren't that great because Ultimately, elections did take place and they did agree for this to happen. However, what limits the value of that point is both sides saw elections in different ways. So the USA and and Britain, they saw themselves as protectors of liberal democracy. They value freedom such as the freedom to vote, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, a free press, they thought that elections would give people real choice and the chance to vote uh, maybe unpopular governments out of office. Now what this source doesn't really get across to us is that while that view existed there were different opinions as well. For the Soviets, Political parties were the result of different classes. You might remember in episode one, we talked about these different views and classes. In a communist state, where there's a class of society, they they argue that there's no need for different parties because parties represent different classes and if classes don't exist, well, why is there a need for parties? In a communist system, there'll be a one-party state. There'd be one party, the Communist Party, and it would rule on behalf of the people. So while that argument there has some validity, it is somewhat valuable because it's getting across to us that there's an agreement that there would be elections, that these different countries could work together and maybe they could after the, the war too. What it doesn't get across to us is that there's really clear differences about who should be in power, and secondly, how those elections would take place. Now, after the break, we're going to finish up by looking at how we write conclusions, how we write our judgments. Welcome back. Now, before the break, we were looking at the content of the source. Now, as we mentioned right at the beginning, we want to have a paragraph on the provenance and we want to have a paragraph on the content. But what we need to finish with is a conclusion, a judgment. Now, there's a useful mnemonic here that we might want to follow. And you might have um, heard of it before in our previous episode when we were looking at how to answer um, essay questions. And the mnemonic is JAR. So we make a judgment. Okay, so you might say the source is highly valuable or partially valuable, uh, somewhat valuable. And then we want to do A. What is the alternative view? Okay, if you think the source is only partially valuable, what makes it valuable? And then R, return. So you think the source is only partially valuable, that's your judgment. The alternative view is all the things that makes it valuable well why do you think it's only partially valuable is it because it was written to try and give across that the alter conference was a success was it because some of those arguments in the content doesn't give a true reflection of the situation on the ground now let me give you a couple of useful phrases that you might want to use when you're writing your conclusion one is this on balance the source is mostly blank to a historian studying blank because blank so in this case it could be on balance the source is mostly valuable to a historian studying the impact of post-war tensions because It was written and composed and drafted by the big three. Now if you don't like that sentence starter you might say something like this, to a certain extent the source is valuable to a historian studying post-war tensions or the impact of post-war tensions because and we might finish that by saying well not only was it written by the big three, but also the tone is optimistic, and this sort of gives us an idea that the post-war tensions weren't that impactful, and maybe there was a real feeling of hopelessness, or hopefulness, sorry, of the big three. The last useful phrase, the last uh, starter, could be overall the value of the source to historians studying the impact of post-war tensions outweighs the limitations this is because and then you talk about the limitations but how the value of the source really adds how all those really outweigh the problems and the limitations with the source now hopefully you found today's podcast helpful uh, where we've looked at the provenance and the content and the structure and also how to make judgments too If you have any questions or if you have any suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And also please remember to subscribe to this podcast and recommend it to other people who might find it useful as well.